Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. So, hello, this is Bebe. I'm one of the PhD students here at the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine. Um, and I'm here with Malta Kunamun today for the first Stem Cells at Lunch podcast. So just to give a bit of background to myself, um, as I said, I'm a PhD student, but my background is also that I'm a dermatologist and I'm just about starting my second year now um, looking at single cell transcriptomics of the skin. So I was very excited when um, I was asked to do this podcast with Malta because um, I looked him up straight away and discovered that he also is interested in single cell transcriptomics, particularly spatial transcriptomics. So Malta, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself if that's okay. Yeah, hi, my name is Malte Gunemund and I'm uh, currently CEO of the company Cartana. I'm also one of the main founders and Cartana is a spin-off from the Science for Life laboratory in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, so I have a PhD in molecular biology um, from actually Uppsala University, which is a little bit north of Stockholm. Um, and uh, already during my PhD, the, the focus was strongly on technology development, especially molecular analysis technologies, such as uh, analyzing RNA as well as DNA and quantifying those. Um, yeah, that's my background. Cool. So you finished your PhD, and how did you then transition to becoming a founder? That's a that's a good question. So it sort of it was very there was no real uh, border in between. There it was very fluent uh, transition. So we um, developed this technology in the lab uh, together with a couple of other colleagues, and uh, it was very much um, after the paper first paper was published in two thousand thirteen. Where there was a lot of requests to the lab for collaborations, okay. and so a couple of people in the lab sort of understood that there's a need, there's a demand for this, yeah. and after a while the lab couldn't hold too many more uh, collaborations. So it was kind of obvious that, okay, we should do something about this. We should essentially just make it applicable and make it usable for more people out there. And so it was really based on that, that uh, need that we saw that we uh, yeah. decided to start a company for that, that does services as well as reagent kits so people can do it themselves. Cool. And so, did you were you sort of part of this project this, during your PhD? Was it the main focus of your PhD? It was not. That's an interesting one. So it was not. There was uh, two colleagues that that um, that I worked closely with that that really um, uh, that really were running this project on, yeah. on in situ sequencing. And um, once that first paper was finished, I came in with a different background. I came in with a more of a um, a microfluidic approach, trying okay. to automate the whole process a little bit. Cool. Uh, together with another colleague, a postdoc, we then sort of started to make that whole uh, procedure more robust. Yeah. Try to automate parts of it, make it really scalable and yeah. really um, easy, more easy to use. Because back then, when they published it, was still relatively complicated. So yeah. we kind of took it and and made it more streamlined, robust, and uh, sort of make it into something that can be run more standardized. Okay. And so that was sort of me and my colleague that picked yeah. up on that. Yeah. Um, and he's a founder too. He's actually at, in London in, in, uh, at the UCL okay. today. Um, uh, while the other guys, they actually went to an academic career. So they were, they're part of the company, they're yeah. co-founders, but they sort of started going out into academia and we uh, others sort of decided to go into that in industrial yeah. branch. Do you have, I mean, 
I'm assuming the company's going well and you're enjoying the process, but do you ever feel like, oh, I miss academia or anything like that? Or Not really, because uh, what, what is really interesting is that we're we're kind of really on the on the uh, on the borderline there mm. because so we we do still uh, academic research but we don't do it ourselves we yeah. help others do academic research and that's very satisfying yeah. because we we help they come with really really cool interesting scientific questions yeah and we are just trying to help them answer those questions yeah. by uh, applying our technology and that that seems to be successful so there's some uh, some of the data is now getting into scientific articles yeah. showing the power of it yeah uh, and that's really satisfying because then, then you yeah. then you do participate still in science yeah. and so yeah. you're not really away from academia yeah best of both worlds in a way in a way maybe. Yeah. yeah yeah now in terms of the microfluidic technology did you have any kind of engineering background or physicsy background like how did you come up with that because uh, that's obviously yeah. very different from molecular biology that's true I don't have that background per se I didn't uh, so I learned a lot about that during my PhD I spent half a year in uh, Belgium yeah in a lab that was microengineering and doing a lot of microfluidics yeah so that's where I spent a lot of time and I was the only biologist in that lab yeah so yeah. I was the one understanding the the molecular processes while yeah. those guys really hardcore mo uh, mini yeah. engineers sort of cool and yeah. so I learned a lot there and, and yeah and then later I applied that knowledge uh, back in the lab and was yeah. able to run but you know microflux doesn't have to be complicated it can also just be a small flow cell made of plastic you stick on top of something and then you just apply a pump and you you basically just flow liquids through and yeah. it can be that simple as well yeah yeah i guess on the on the applied level it can be quite simple even if the physics behind it is possibly more it, complicated yeah exactly i mean there's a lot of physics behind it and there's those that model everything and then yeah. there's those that just test everything and yeah optimally you would do both yeah <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I was more the guy that just tests it and if it doesn't work I just sure. change it you know and uh, um, yeah no it's it's uh, yeah <laughs> cool so I guess we should explain what Cartana actually does yeah sure let's do that so Cartana is um, doing in situ sequencing and uh, what is in situ sequencing well it's a technique that is really applying next generation sequencing chemistry in the tissue samples. So um, the old or the, the what they call the next generation sequencing is, is, is essentially mm, taking DNA or RNA molecules, making them larger, uh, making them clonally amplifying them, making them into small balls that you can see much easier and then you uh, sequence those balls uh, very in a, in a high throughput fashion. Uh, parallelized and that's what what's what gives you this uh, high throughput and uh, we do exactly that inside the tissue section so in a way it's what they call the next next generation of uh, DNA sequencing which then takes place inside intact tissue samples and cells mm -hmm. um, some people call it the fourth generation of DNA <laughs> sequencing so yeah um, so what does it do is really uh, we we in, in our case in Cartana's case so there's a range of different techniques uh, out there but our technology really uh, targets RNA of interest, so we, we really mostly do work on RNA sequencing. It's not so much DNA sequencing per se. So it's um, we target RNA of, of interest. So we we design uh, barcoded uh, probes that then really target those of interest. You can have thousands at the same time, and you 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 apply those barcode probes onto the tissue sample, and they 
uh, and the, that tissue section is essentially fixated so all the RNA that was there at a specific point in time is fixated so those probes find those RNA molecules and kind of introduce that barcode onto that RNA molecule. Now you amplify that barcode directly inside the tissue which sort of is very similar to what they do in a DNA sequencing machine and then <coughs> you have larger molecules that you can then sequence with uh, the chemistry. So we, we put this chemistry directly on side of the prepared sections with all these barcoded DNA spots that we call them and so they light up in different colors and you essentially just need a fluorescent microscope to read out a color, quote, color mm. code. And then <coughs> that's essentially exactly the same that a DNA sequencer does. Mm -hmm. A DNA sequencer is a microscope a microfluidic flow cell yeah. and and then there's a there's a sample holder that essentially just has a lot of spots and then yeah. and then uh, what you do is you put chemistry you image chemistry image and so on and so yeah. on and exactly this process we do with a fluorescent microscope directly inside the tissue section cool so in terms of say because I've also heard about the spatial transcriptomics technology which also came from SciLife lab as well is that right, right yeah, yeah. With um, is it is it Johan Lundeberg? Joachim Lundeberg. Joachim Lundeberg, <coughs> and that's more, I guess, an unbiased sequencing approach. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, you have to know what probes to choose. Is there a, like a big selection of probes, or how does that work? Yeah, so so that's good that you bring that up. So the, um, I think these technologies were really kind of developed in parallel and yeah. they knew of each other, of course. Yes. Um, they take a very different approach. It's yeah. more it's more like an array that you have on the microscope slide. You put your tissue section on top. Yeah. The RNA goes down to the array and um, uh, the RNA is then barcoded on the array with a spatial barcode. Now the problem is only that these spatial barcodes only have a, uh, currently they have a 100 micrometer uh, resolution. And then between mm -hmm. those different spots, there's a lot of space where there's no arrays at all. Right. So, um, that is. Uh, that means that uh, inside a micro hundred micrometer spot, there's maybe five to ten. Maybe if it's a dense tissue, it's uh, up to a hundred cells that exactly. is inside that spot. Yeah. So if you measure the RNA from that spot, it could be a mixture of all kinds of mm -hmm. cells. And mm -hmm. if it's a heterogeneous tissue, then you really don't yeah. gain that single cell resolution, which is so important nowadays. Yeah. Um, uh, and then also around these DNA spots, you lose basically all the information from all the cells that are around these spots that are not covered by the spot. Um, so, but then the good thing is they, they uh, with this with this technology, you have a uh, it's an unbiased uh, analysis, so you basically can uh, sequence without prior knowledge, and you, yeah. you gain your knowledge about what genes are expressed in what area inside the tissue yeah. so that's very useful and very yeah. good for a discovery yeah. um, and is in a way very complementary to ours because yeah. because what you end up with is a gene list of relevant genes you already kind of know where in the tissue they are mm -hmm. but now you would want to go down to the single cell level and actually yeah. pinpoint exactly those cells yeah so if you generate a marker list from this experiment you can use ours to go with this marker list yeah. you can go down to the single cell level um, so in that sense they're very complementary. Yeah. And are you planning to expand from the brain to other organs? Obviously, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean I get that question a lot and yeah. it's, 
uh, why do we do the brain? Everyone loves the brain. The brain is just a really fascinating organ, and yeah. there's so much to solve. Yes. There's so many. There's so many diseases and yeah. disorders that don't have any treatments. Yeah. So I think it's just we have this. Maybe the, this is just where we have to do the most of work in order to to find out more and. Um, yeah, it's, so it's it's really the brain that that we focused on in the beginning, but we do already move away from that. So we okay. do we do already do other tissue types. So we we go a lot into cancer now, into okay. different types of cancers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's possible to essentially it's possible to apply the technology to any tissue type. Yeah. So from a cancer perspective, are you looking at things like tumor microenvironment or? You know, yeah. different clonal expansion in different sites and things like that. Yeah, that's often the the, the questions that researchers have that yeah. they try to answer, and yeah. it's, it's it's especially now in the ages of immunotherapy where people would really like to be able to to study the immune response inside mm. tumors, mm. Um, and that's that's really an interesting part because nowadays even with these the best and, and most successful immunotherapies, there's only a response of 10-20% so there's still 80-90% of patients that just don't respond and they actually don't really understand why yeah and so it's quite obvious that you need uh, much more high resolution technologies that can study yeah. the cellular responses the heterogeneity the microenvironment on a yeah. much much more detailed scale so I, I think spatial yeah. transcriptomic techniques really come in there handy and yeah may be able to decipher what's really going on there yeah and on a sort of more broad level, you know, in addition to cancer, how do you think, what do you think the role of spatial uh, methods such as yours will play in yeah. biological discovery? So, I mean, I think the, um, so one really interesting project or initiative, global initiative is the Human Cell Atlas Initiative, yes. which is huge. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of, they, they say it's the next big project sort of like the human genome project was yeah. back then which was yeah. a global initiative too yeah. it's why i started my phd actually. oh yeah, yeah. great yeah. yeah so that was really exciting times wasn't yeah, it so yeah. I mean, it was a race of who publishes the first human yeah well human no sorry genome. the human cell atlas is why i i decided to do the phd oh that's yeah 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 so but the, yeah so the human genome project back then was yeah. was uh yeah was this uh, exciting project yeah. and a race about who publishes the first genome yes now it's really more i think it's more collaborative mm -hmm. even more than back then yeah um but it's essentially yeah you need to take apart all the different tissues of the human body and try to yeah characterize them and so um Everything is essentially done nowadays by single cell RNA-seq, yeah. which makes a lot of sense because it now has a high throughput. You can take apart all human tissues and 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 then uh, characterize the different cell types, and that's fantastic because then we have a, we can make a registry of all the different cell types there are. Mm -hmm. But so in my view, in my world, yeah. a real atlas means a map as well. Yes. And I think this is exactly where we come in or yeah. the spatial techniques are very necessary yeah. because you don't only want to know what the tissues are comprised of, but you really want to know where are all these different cell types, how yeah. are they organized, uh, so that you can really go and study these very unique spatial relationships between the different cell types and, yeah. and learn more about the biology. And if you can do that and compare it to diseased Mm -hmm. to a disease state you might actually find something completely novel that you can target or something like that so i think it's it's that's the biggest promise right now yeah so you think that you know comparing normal to disease 
and sort of biological molecular marker identification maybe sort of a way of identifying therapeutic targets and translation is that kind but of your I think so I think this yeah. is where it's going to go so once you've mapped the um, all the cells in a, in a healthy body you would want to do the same for all kinds of different diseases mm -hmm. see what's different yeah and where is it different so I think yeah. that's a very, very yeah. important part and are you involved in the human cell atlas um, yes we will be more and more now. So there's um, there are some uh, European projects where we're going to be involved as okay. a partner in some of the uh, some of the efforts, and then uh, we do start working with some uh, labs in the U.S. that are involved in the cell class. So it's I think it's really where we see uh, where we can potentially contribute the best with our technology. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's all really interesting, and I'm very pleased that you've come to London to chat to us today. Um, I'm really excited to hear your talk and um, yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.